Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Keeping dogs properly and responsibly. That is what we're trying to do. We can't do it anymore. I was so angry listening to him. A hundred euro is all we get, basically, for our baby. Between the jazz and Christmas, you know, you could slip in a bank holiday in, you know, late November, early December. Join the conversation. Call 0818 Good morning. I believe that the happiest people in Cork last night were the Chemical Brothers fans when they finally delivered their gig in Munsgrave Park. Was it the third or fourth time of asking? Definitely the third. Might have been the fourth. But a great gig. Or so I'm told, frankly, lads, they wouldn't have been my bag, but they're popular, very popular. I remember their their hits back in the day and playing them in the clubs, but big gig last night. And Rod rocked it again. A few people texted me last night from inside the marquee who had heard me talking about it yesterday and had gotten tickets for the second show. Ah, what a night. What a night. We've got, what, Jenny Green in the marquee tomorrow night. And then it all wraps up with a day-long festival Saturday. And the marquee runs until next week. I think my, or not, the Musgrave Park, rather, runs till next week. I think my daughter says she's going to Florence over the next few days. We really have had a cracking season of gigs in the city. And just sad there was nothing in, in Parky Cueve this year. We just have to look forward to something, hopefully, for for 2024. Morning to you. 0818969696, the number of the text of WhatsApp, 083 I want to go straight to what's happening at Iceland. We started looking at this story a few days ago when we were talking to Jamie from the Independent Workers' Union. Now, Iceland has four branches in Cork, Middleton, Formoy, Douglas Road and I can't remember where the fourth one is off the top of my hand but now the four of them they're still open they're still trading some of the ones in Dublin now have closed there was an occupation or a sit-in at one store in Dublin over the last 24 hours now the business has been placed into examinership that's a posh word for saying that the courts have asked an expert 
to take a look at the business and see is it viable. It was all taken over a few months ago by a new company and now that's gone into examinership. So it's not closed yet, but the courts are looking as to whether it is viable. An interim examiner has been appointed by the courts. Metrion Stores Limited is the company that runs Iceland uh, at the moment, having taken over from the original owners. And Judge Michael Quinn appointed an accountant and insolvency expert, a man called Mr. Joseph Walsh, as an interim examiner on Tuesday. They have 26 stores up and down the country, including four here in Cork. They employ over 340 people. Now, Sarah, you have been working with Iceland here in Cork for a number of years. I'm not going to say where, but you have been working for a number of years. And you have seen quite a lot of change, uh, particularly in recent times. Morning. Hi, how are you? Uh, I've been there quite a number of years and I've dealt with a lot of people. And since these people have taken over, we haven't had much communication from them, much help from them. We don't know where we stand. Our holidays have been taken off us. Our wages have been taken off us. We don't know whether we're going to get paid on Friday. It's all up in the air and no one seems to be taking our calls. What kind of things have been happening? Well, we've been promised new tills. We've been promised broadband. We've been promised all these new things coming in. Policies and procedures. We've been getting emails about them. But when we decide then that there's an issue within the store, regardless of, you know, something small to something big, we're not getting any emails back. We went to pay for our holidays. We have to use our holidays by the 1st of July. We went in and we checked the system. All our holidays have been changed, nearly every single one of us. Some of us had over 50 hours to take and now are in the minus of 50 or above, maybe above 100. So you're saying here, Sarah, people who would have, and it's, it's that time of the year, people who would have summer holidays planned now don't have the hours to take them. Is that what you're saying? Don't have the hours to take them and they don't have the money. If I had my holiday planned for this week and I wanted to take my holiday pay, it's not there to take. We don't know whether we'll have a job tomorrow. Talk to me about having to empty shelves and freezers. What's been happening there? So, yeah, so we've been doing the, the dirty work for them. We've been counting all the frozen stock and putting them into crates for disposal. We've had to clean out the cabinets. We've had to lock up the cabinets and the general stuff that you have to do. And and what happened? Did you get a, an email or did you get a phone call or I did someone come and say, start cleaning out? I think the list of the HSE sent out and we complied with that. And then the HSE came in on Friday into nearly at the exact same time across the country into different stores. And some of them said we weren't allowed to sell certain products. Some of them said they were fine to stay where they were. But in my particular store, we were told all meat-based products had to go. So anything with egg fried rice had to go, any pastries had to go, any cheese pizzas had to go. But they would have had like dairy in them. They all had to go. So we locked up the freezers and we put signs on the freezers because that's what they had told us to do. Some uh, people had the HSE going on Saturday and put detained stickers across them. And we complied with that. We were told all that. Then I think Iceland sent out an email saying that all freezers were to be turned off, including the big freezers that people had out the back. Um, if they had normal stock, like chips or whatever that could be sold, they were to go back into the cabinet. Jamie from the Independent Workers Union 
said to me the other morning that he was aware of stores where there was no proper storage facilities, so stuff was now going rotten out the back. Have you come across that? Yeah, um, a lot of stores don't have, don't have big freezers out the back. Some are very small freezers, and I think some stores, they go from as little as 10 pallets, and these are full pallets of um, frozen food to 30 pallets of frozen food. And obviously, lots of places wouldn't have the ability for 30 um, pallets. Yeah. And who is issuing these instructions to you, Sarah? Are they coming from management? They are coming from high up the chain, yes, management, yeah. Okay. And and when you ask, why are we doing this, or, or what, do you get any... Well, qu- we were told that we would be getting a delivery, a frozen delivery, next Wednesday is what they said, and they sold us this on Saturday. Hmm. And then there was a question, because I think the order had to go in on, a, on Monday, and they were told... No, hold off on it. We'll give you further instructions. And then it came out in the news that, you know, an examiner had been appointed to us. That's right. That's right. So you're you're kind of living in the dark. You don't know day to day whether you have a job to go to. When when was the last time you were paid? I was paid last Friday. Okay. And when you paid, was it a full payment? Was it okay? Yeah. Yeah. My my payment was fine. A lot of the stores are fine. A lot of the double stores aren't fine. I think that's where the main problems with pay are. But when it comes to holidays, it's across the board. What's the feeling on the ground? I mean, if you're there, if you're there working a few years now, you said in five years. If you're there working a few years, you get a sense for how the company is doing. What do you think? Um, well, we always described it as a hostile takeover. That was the word that used before they ever took over. We knew it was going to be a hostile takeover, and it was. I think out of the four months that they've been here, um, we've had one kind of important person coming to us. And again, promised us, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, and we've got nothing promised. Um, and yeah, it's hard to believe that in four months they have ruined 27 stores, 300 plus jobs, and years of hard work by us, you know, who had tried to keep the doors open all the time, and were ignored. Yeah. I think a lot of people were surprised the other day when I spoke to Jamie about just how much in the dark the staff are. First of all, the company doesn't deal with or recognise a trade union. So so even your, the people who represent you can't get, get answers. How does that feel at the moment? It's disrespectful to us. You know? We have a voice and we will be heard one way or another. You know? and I, I think the public are under the assumption that, you know, oh, this was just a big hit or it was Brexit or something like this. This could have all been avoided practical things have been done. Brexit yes. is a big favourite. People love to blame Brexit for everything up to the up to and including the weather. But but Brexit has nothing to do with this, you're saying, as someone no, working no. there. Yeah, I, oh yeah, I'm working there and everyone I think I will agree with me. We didn't think it would happen this fast. We were hoping that somebody would step in and, and recognise what was going on, but no, nobody has. Are you looking for another job at the moment, Sarah? I am looking, yeah, yeah. I have a small family. I have to, I have to. But, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. Even though we haven't got our official notice to leave, you, you kind of still like, hold out hope and you've been there for so long. I know. Was it a good you place know? to work when it opened first? I always refer to it as Faulty Towers, if I'm being honest. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, everything and anything could go wrong, but I think that's when you just work in retail. It's just the way it is. Yeah. I'm being honest, you know, something would pop up or, you know. Have you done retail before now, before this? Yeah, I've done retail most of my life, to be fair. Right, so you, you have a fairly good judgment? I think I do, yeah. And so, so it was always a bit crackpot, was it? 
It was. It was. It was. You know, but as I was saying to one of the girls yesterday, it was, you know, wasn't always the best place. It wasn't always the best humour inside there. But, you know, I, I think we'd like we like to think of it like we spent a lot of time inside there with people and we made lifelong friends inside there. I certainly did. You know, you had ups and your downs and everything in between. But you spend a lot of your time in there. Like, you know, some people yeah, work hard there was a week. I, I have worked hard there was a week inside there. And you see them more than you see family at home at, at times. If your gaffer, your boss, was listening to you right now, what would you say to him? Keep, what keep, would I like to say? Keep, keep the language usable. <laughs> I will do my best. <laughs> we want to know why he's violated basic working rights for making stores turn off air conditioning, taking away holiday pay and wages when we've been doing the dirty work. Some stores have nearly 30 pallets of food, like I said, and it's just such a waste. This, like, the disregard for not only workers' rights, but basic human rights to be treated with dignity and respect. I still can't get over that it has been four months and all this like 300 plus jobs and 27 stores all gone for what? Well they're not gone yes Not gone yes but we're very close to the door we're circling the drain fairly rapidly Okay We may not be anything to him but our voices will be heard and we are going to go kicking and screaming so everyone knows the truth Sarah you have a good day thank you Thank you Thank you Good luck over the next while too, Sarah. The Cork stores are still open as we speak, the four of them. I'm not too sure what stock levels are like. But some of the ones in Dublin would appear to have shuttered yesterday. The politicians are at it already. Uh, Ian O'Reardon of the Labour Party calling on Simon Coveney to get involved and get clarity for the workers. He says workers have been treated disgracefully, which in fairness... He's entitled to that opinion. Business gone into examinership. Minister Coveney, he says, needs to urgently find a pathway to consultation with the workers to ensure they're not out of pocket in terms of wages owed or any potential redundancy payments that they may be entitled to. This is no way to treat workers, and one would not disagree with him there, but then politicians are going to politic. Just having a look at examinership, um, what is it? Because it's a, it's a word that's thrown around examinership, receivership, liquidation, all this kind of crack. So examinership is when the courts appoint an expert to a company to examine its books and examine its dealings and to determine whether or not the company can be saved. In order for the courts to appoint an examiner, the company has to be able to convince the court it has a reasonable prospect of being saved. You won't get an examiner appointed to a company that's banjaxed. You'll get an appointment. So the examiner has now been appointed and they've got 70 days, 70 working days, which is about 8 to 10 weeks. If you take Saturdays into account as a working day, which I assume they don't. And in that time, nothing can happen. Uh, the, count, the, co- the company cannot be wound up while it's in the course of examinership, for example. So it's it's one we'll have to watch, but thank you to Sarah and good luck to herself and her colleagues. But that's what examinership means, if you ever wondered. 0818 96 96 96. Actually, as I speak about that and about retail in general, this report came out yesterday from the European Union. Um, the European Commission's report on household consumption expenditure for 2022, which is a long way of saying it's a report confirming what we already knew. 
um, that Ireland is now the most expensive country to live in in the European Union. We pay more for goods and services here, for alcohol, for tobacco, than anybody else in the EU. We've some of the highest prices for gas, electric, public transport, communication, that's our phones and stuff, hotels, services, dining out. On some specifics, they studied 36 European countries for this, uh, including all of the member states. For goods and services, we are an average of 46% dearer than the EU average for goods and services. That's been getting worse than uh, since 2015. Only Switzerland and Iceland are more expensive than us. With the second highest energy prices in the EU, uh, behind Denmark, for the sounds of this, Denmark sounds like a wicked expensive place to live. Did you hear? The cost of electricity and gas here, 38% above the EU average. For food and non-alcoholic beverages, soft drinks, tea, coffee, we're the fourth most expensive country in the EU. Denmark, in there again, is the most expensive. Luxembourg and Malta for basic groceries. Alcohol and tobacco, the most expensive. <laughs> no contest. Double the EU average and nearly four times more expensive than the cheapest, which is Bulgaria. And the report has looked at why and its taxation, as if we didn't know. But there you go. When you're paying €6.20 for a point, or six fifty for a point, there's a fair whack at that going in tax. Eating out, tourists' accommodation, 28.5% above the EU average. Yeah, 28.5%. Behind only Denmark. Poor old Denmark, not doing well here. Finland and Luxembourg. Communication services, phones, broadband, etc., etc. 56% more expensive than the EU average and third more expensive after Belgium and Greece. Cost of motoring here, 13% above the average. Public transport. Now, we have a Green Party in government. A Green Party in driving public transport. Green Party in charge of public transport. We have our public transport fares, even with the recent reductions, are 27% higher than the EU average. The fourth joint most expensive. After Sweden, Finland and the Netherlands and Denmark again. Poor old Denmark is not having a good day at all. Clothing prices are cheaper though. We, we, we do well on clothing comparatively cheaper but we're an expensive place to live the most expensive in the EU when you take all those figures together and you mash them down and come out with who's the dearest what's the most expensive country to live with in the EU it's Ireland Denmark looks worse but no when you break all the figures down most expensive country to live in in all of the EU we knew that, though, didn't we? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM.
Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96 FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork's 96 FM. If there are any developments on that uh, Titanic missing submarine story, we'll we'll bring them to you. Uh, It doesn't look good now for the people on board. They're saying only a couple of hours of oxygen at best. If it's even still there, if it has not imploded or collapsed or... But that's what they tell us. It'll, oxygen will run out, according to calculations, will run out by lunchtime today. So definitely not looking good. But they are still searching. And if there are any developments, you will be the second to know after we know. Promise you that. 0818 The fair deal protest at the Dáil yesterday. There was a decent number of people turned up, but it doesn't seem to have gone very well for them. They didn't get any satisfaction, as it were, out of the... I think particularly Mary Butler, the minister with responsibility for elderly people, more or less wrung her hands and said, there's nothing I can do, which for a woman in anyone, man or woman, anyone in that position being the Minister for the Elderly to stand in front of a group of family members and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do is an absolute disgrace to the office. If you ask me, which I know you didn't. But on the phone, I was listening to the nursing home demonstrators on the news this morning. I was very impressed with them. Yes, they're an impressive bunch of people. They said people should get out and get behind them. And they impressed me. It might not be our problem today, but as they say, it could be one day. If I'm available, I will be supporting them if they ever organise a protest. This will devastate families if the trouble with the fair deal scheme continues. One last point. If they had fixed up the labour and training for the home support packages, then the budget for this would not have to be spread so thinly. I keep coming back as well, caller, thank you. I keep coming back as well to the argument about the National Treatment Purchase Fund. That's the that's the body which pays for the fair deal scheme and uses our money. Like it doesn't find money down the back of the couch. It uses our money, yours and mine and Embers and Fergals, our taxes to pay out money to support the fair deal scheme. And we say, yeah, that's grand. That's a good use of our taxpayers' money. But the NTPF is one side of this. Care Choice is the other. And you have Simon Coveney and others, Mary Butler, saying it's between NTPF and Care Choice who own the nursing home. We can't do anything about it. It's nothing to do with us. It bloody well is something to do with you. If you... If the National Treatment Purchase Fund is a state fund funded with my money, your money and the fella next door's money and I don't have a problem with them spending that money that way but I will not listen to this nonsense from ministers highly paid ministers standing back saying oh no, 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 nothing to do with us how can a state body be nothing to do with a minister of the day? Would any of them care to ring and tell me Simon, you have the number Michael, Michal, I know you're up in the UCC this morning. Would would any minister care to explain to me why a government body spending government money, spending our money, is nothing to do with the government? 
Let's be rant over for now. 0818969696. If you are trying to potty train a child, you'll be very interested in an email we had from a fairly frazzled mammy who's trying to get a child potty trained. And I'd say she's not the first person to have this problem. Certainly not the first person. In fact, we had something similar at home long ago. Um, I'll read that to you afterwards. But on Monday, uh, the guy, the commissioner, Drew Harris, was in town to attend a meeting of the JPC, the Joint Policing Committee. And he was there at the invitation of Deirdre Ford, the Lord Mayor. It was something she said to me a few months ago that she wanted to do. She wanted to achieve it before she left office, that she would bring Drew Harris to address or to speak at a meeting of the Joint Policing Committee. And he did that on Monday. And he took some questions and listened to what the members of the JPC had to say. He stayed there, stayed there for about an hour. Uh, Maureen Tuig from the 96FM newsroom was there. The complaint afterwards, I think, Maureen, was that he, he actually didn't spend long enough there. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. That's it. Uh, Senator Jerry Bottomer said uh, during the meeting that he felt it was like a futile exercise. So I was chatting with, with uh, Jerry Bottomer afterwards and he just said, you know, Drew Harris, the Garda Commissioner, he came in, it was just for about an hour, but he just said it was too short, you know, that there's, I suppose, a lot of matters in Cork, serious matters around Garda numbers, visibility, policing rosters, serious matters that are being felt in Cork and that, you know, the, the, the discussion could have been extended on for another bit so yeah he did raise that uh, that concern that he felt like that the meeting uh, was too short obviously the, the JPC carried on for an hour and a bit after the Garda Commissioner had left but he did feel that the time that, that Drew Harris spent at the JPC just was not long enough. What kind of questions were put to the Commissioner and did he have answers at his fingertips? Well, he was asked about um, about a blanket approval of overtime, you know, pending the arrival of new recruits. And Commissioner Harris said that the issue within the force isn't money, but it's getting more people to join the force, but that he couldn't agree to the blanket overtime because he said staff get tired. They aren't productive in the workplace. So he said he couldn't agree to that. But what he did say from July, you know, there'll be more uh, graduating from Templemore and that Cork will get a share of those Gardaí that are graduating from Templemore. We heard in the City Garda Division, PJ, in 2016, there were 638 Gardaí. Now, that rose to a high of 730 in 2021. But now in 2023, there is 707 Gardaí in the City Division, down from that 730 in 2021. And I suppose nobody can argue with, with figures like that when they're presented in black and white. And that was when the question came about calling for the blanket approval of overtime. And it was then when, when the Commissioner said, said, you know, he couldn't agree to it because of, you know, staff getting tired. They aren't productive in the workplace. And he just said that that's not something he could agree with. He There was an acknowledgement at the, the JPC yesterday of, you know, HR challenges in the recruitment market. I know it's probably being felt across the country with full employment there that it's hard to, to attract new talent. It's hard for guard, the guards to get more guardy into the force and get them training through Templemore and in turn, I suppose, turning out new graduates. But he did say, you know, from July that, there will be more graduating from Templemore and that Cork will get a share of those as will, will other areas around the country. Now, like you said, the meeting went on a bit after the Commissioner had left. It was also a meeting that took place in the context of there having been a fatal stabbing in the city only days previously. Did that come up? 
It was mentioned it was and obviously because it's a, it's a matter before the courts not much could be said about it but the discussion about that Garda outreach hub on uh, Grand Parade oh, yeah. did come up in discussion and uh, Councillor McNugent raised that now he obviously had been asking about the coffee pod maybe being turned into a, a Garda outreach hub or at a recent council meeting with uh, Councillor McFinn they called you know for those derelict toilets in Grand Parade that maybe they could be used now the response he got was that there is risks with this you know the staffing the security of the building he was met with that but he said to me uh, Councillor Nugent said you know he's going to keep it on the agenda and that's so important to keep it on the agenda Gushin went to to thefts from shops then as well PJ and that's something that uh, that they've seen a vast increase in in the city centre since last year a 66% increase it went from 530 in 2022 to 881 incidents in 2023 incidents of shoplifting yeah that's it, yeah, of uh, thefts from shops, yeah. And Superintendent Thomas Myers said, you know, they were delighted with a lot of the figures because obviously at the JPC figures are presented, you know, burglary figures are down, aggravated and not aggravated. But the thefts from shops, he said, is up. And he said, the quote was, it's hurting us. Now, he said that clothing is the top stolen object. They gave a kind of a drop-down list of the top 10 and in the top three there, clothing tops it, it's followed by liquor and then by, by groceries. So he said, you know, they're proud of the work that's going on in the city. We're in quite good shape, but it is those thefts from shops that is up and is hurting us, you know. And he, this was we heard from the CBA as well, mm. you know, wanting to see more guard visibility on the streets. And it's something that Senator Jerry Baltimore said to me as well, hearing it from businesses all the time through the CBA, you know, they're having to hire their own private security staff because of the yeah. these issues here with that 66% increase. There was another discussion on uh, busking in the city centre as well. And that's an issue that the CBA raised and labelling it almost as audio intimidation um, because the noise can be so loud from buskers on the streets. And that when, you know, shop owners and retailers go out and, you know, politely ask, you know, you might turn it down. uh, The wailing into the amplifier is how it was described (laughs) yesterday at the meeting or on Monday at the meeting um, that, you know, they could be met with maybe not such a, a polite response. So there's bylaws coming in around busking, looking for those to be expedited, just so that this kind of a, a situation uh, doesn't arise and doesn't uh, lead to, to this kind of intimidation. And I suppose staying in the city centre, the Panaban came up for discussion oh, really? as well. And it did. And in terms of enforcement of the Panaban, uh, Councillor John Mayer, the Labour councillor, said... On Sunday, it was like bumper cars at the Mary's uh, on Patrick Street while the Panaban was, was, was meant to be in place. And uh, the CEO of Cork City Council, Aunt Doherty, told the JPC that she feels that camera-based enforcement is probably what needs to happen on Patrick Street. To what, that this is your number picture. gets picked up on a camera that and you get a fine yeah, in the post? Yeah, okay. number plate and, and an immediate fine, basically. Like, you know, that you, you'd get the, the immediate fine because they take the picture of the number plate, it'd be sent out to you and that's how it would be enforced. And uh, she she said probably that is probably what needs to happen on Patrick Street as well in order to, to make the Panaban uh, work and for it to be enforceable. God, it's hard to believe they're still bringing up the Panaban at meetings. <laughs> when you see it, though, it's, it was kind of described as, a, as a, like a lack of respect for it, you know, that but when it's not, when you're not being enforced, I suppose anyone's going to, to chance it, you know. The, the uh, safe injection facility came up oh, for yeah. discussion as well. It did, PJ, with David Lane from the HSE Drug and Alcohol Services. And obviously a delegation were off in, in Lisbon recently. And the meeting heard that Ireland has the second highest number of drug-related deaths in the EU. So the, the latest 
latest update on the safe injection facility proposal for the city. They've contracted research now in Cork City. You know, look at the level of need in detail. Now, they did say it's not going to happen overnight, but they're determined because there's a lot of people want the same thing mm. for the city. So they're hoping to have this uh, research published by the end of February of 2024, so next February. And it's going to be very focused and a valuable piece of research. So that's the latest update on that safe injection facility. In, in other words, nothing moving on it yet. Moorhead, good to catch up with you on that meeting. There was a lot there, and thanks for going through with me. Thanks a million, PJ. Take care. Cheers, Moorhead. Yeah, there was a lot in that meeting. Buskers. Buskers. Audio intimidation, they said. Buskers. Do you know what gets me about buskers? We have some marvellous ones in the city, and it's lovely uh, on a Friday or Saturday or Sunday to wander down through the streets of the city the ones that are safer anyway and see a busker but you know what isn't great uh, and some of them some of them either need to learn to set their equipment better like go into a music shop and somebody will show you how to set your gear um, because we've all walked past them right <laughs> That means your microphone's either broken or your speaker isn't set properly or it is blown. That's that's the problem I'd have with buskers with crappy sound. You know the ones. Those fellas. Can't understand a word because the speaker's broken. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Yeah, I don't think I'd be a guard or encourage any daughter or son of mine to be a guard on the salary scale that's out there, given the risk involved in the job these days. I, I will come back to it, though. You might have seen that figure. I certainly talked about it earlier in the week that nearly half of the people who are entitled to claim this new renter's tax credit haven't done it since it was brought in by the government after the budget. Nearly half of them haven't done it and it would appear that a huge number of them haven't done it because they can't do it. And the simple reason they can't do it is because their landlord isn't properly registered. Which... Uh, Catherine Clancy from the Magazine Road and Surrounding Area Residents Association, you're you're kind of screaming at that that figure. I told you so. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I suppose yes, we've been talking about it since 2017. You know the lack of registration by landlords in our area, in particular, like you know, and um, we have over 60% of the landlords now in the area not registered with the RTB, and we've been telling them that since 2017. We met with the RTB in um, in April of this year again to highlight, you know, the situation. And while they said they take the issue seriously, they did recognise that they had system changes within the RTB. But I suppose what was really relevant, uh, you know, evident earlier on the week there, PJ, when you were listening to the news across the country, about 50% of people entitled to that thousand euro uh, tax rebate, you know, not being uh, claiming it. It was obvious to us, like, you know, you know, that the, re- the real reason 
is that landlords not being registered and it's very unfair on their tenants. Many of them students are students' parents are couples renting who aren't in a position to claim that money back because the property isn't registered and many of them are afraid to approach the landlords. That's what we believe about, uh, you know, the property not being registered. And you have to ask, PJ, mm. a, a property that can take in, some in our area, some properties can take into 50,000 a year, you know, approximately, yeah. and why they won't pay 140 euro, just 40 euro a year to register that property. Well, Catherine, you know and I know why they won't pay that, that, that fee to register it because then they have to return everything for tax and they have to put everything through the books and that's what they won't do. That's what they, what they don't want to do. And I suppose when we met the RTB um, in the start of April there, it's, you know, why, why we're meeting them is because it has you know, implications for us, like if there's issues with the property and, you know, in the standard of properties for the students that are, are living them. But it was worrying when we spoke to the RTB, as I say, they recognise that they have systems changes, you know, they do also recognise that it isn't a staffing issue. But they are not proactive in, uh, you know, tracking down landlords who aren't um, registered. And when asked the question, what data had they on unregistered properties in the country, which we make out could be something like 300,000 if we're going on 50% not being registered, they have no data and they have no systems in place to identify those properties at present. The government, having brought in this tax relief or tax credit for people, will now be aware of the number of people not taking it up. Does it provide them with an opportunity to turn around and say, first of all, ask the question why, and then look at the PRTB and say, why, and what are you doing about it? Absolutely. I mean, the RTB are the statutory body whose job it is to provide the government with an update and, uh, you know, proper data on the the, uh, rented sector in the country. They're not doing that. They haven't been doing it. And from when we met them on the 3rd of April, they won't be doing it in the very near future either. I was talking to a landlord the other day, uh, Catherine, and she said, look, I'm registered. I pay my taxes. I pay way too much tax, but Mm -hmm. it is what it is. If all of these people actually registered and paid their taxes, it would be spread around more and we'd all pay less. Yeah, maybe so. But I suppose, you know, the bottom line is that like, you know, you have people out there in business, in the business of renting property who are totally uh, ignoring a statutory uh, requirement brought into law since 2014 to register their property. And they're not doing it. And primarily they seem to be getting away with it. If the PRTB or the RTB rather, uh, Mm. if it recognises that, you know, Tommy Murphy, landlord with five properties, hasn't registered any of them and it manages Mm. What powers do they have? They have powers to actually, you know, go after that landlord. But really the problem is, you know, they don't actively seek out unregistered properties. They invite the word they use. We invite landlords, invite uh, something that is a statutory requirement is even the wrong word, like invite landlords to register their property and they rely on third parties like us to let them know if a property isn't registered. We're doing definitely our part since 2017 on, you know, informing them. But unfortunately, the properties that we have informed them, 50 properties that we've been telling them since 2017 not being registered are still not registered. Yeah. And you have, you have as a result thousands, tens of thousands of people who could well do with a 500 or a 1,000 euro tax credit in these Absolutely. difficult times, not able to yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's I suppose it's, it's a mean, besides for whatever reason the landlord is doing it, but to do that to people who are, you know, honouring their agreement to pay you every month 
as a landlord and, you know, and to apply to all the regulations that they must. And yet you're not applying to a simple regulation to rent the, to register your property at 40 euros a year. Okay, Catherine, leave it there. Thank you, Catherine Clancy. Listen, thank you. Thank you, Chair of the Magazine Road and Surrounding Area Residents Association. They did the survey, their own survey, and they found huge numbers of unregistered properties around there. Only half of the people entitled to claim this tax credit have claimed it, and that's obvious. You kind of wonder. We were only throwing this idea around the office this morning. It's the things that you think about when you're preparing for a programme. Could it be deliberate? Could it be that the government brought this thing in to fire it out into the open and say, right, this way we'll find out now who's registered and who's not? If that's the case, then what are they going to do about that when they find out who's registered? And who's not? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Right, come back to that. Um, so Drew Harris was in town the weekend, or earlier in the week rather, the commissioner of the Gardaí, and he was talking about recruitment at that JPC meeting. And he said, "Look, money to pay guards isn't the problem. It's getting them into." the force and recruiting them. And we heard the numbers. Maureen gave us the numbers. We now have lower numbers in Cork of Gardaí than we had in 2021. And just bearing in mind what the Commissioner had said, I went and looked at the Garda pay scales. Now it's kind of confusing because there's two kind, there's two, there seems to be two pay scales operating up against one another, but it doesn't really matter because there's only a thousand euro between them. So let's look at the better pay scale. This is called the Garda A pay scale. So this is when you finish your training, you finished your been a rookie, you're a proper, fully fledged cop for the first time on the streets of Cork City. Your your salary for a first time guard is thirty six thousand six hundred and five euro a year, which is what? Three grand a month, uh, not even a grand a week for the risky job that is a guard. Now, on top of that, you do get a pension, but you pay for it. You get very good health insurance, but you pay for it. Guard the medical aid, health insurance, and I have to say, in, in our family, we benefited from it, so we know how good it is. My dad, Lord be good to him, had it until the day he died. And my mother, being a Garda wife, she has it. And a Garda medical aid is is good. It's good stuff. It's good insurance. You pay for it, but it's good insurance. That's a perk of the job. Overtime. They can get overtime. But then, even before I gave out the, the, the pay scale, we had a call who, from someone who is a guard. Thank you for your call. Uh, there's a pittance for Saturday duties. It should be time and a half. And as a pittance for night work, that should be a shift allowance. You're competing in the market with the big factories for workers. If you have, if you compete better with the market, you'll get the workers. Yeah, after twenty, now there were twenty-two pay, pay increment scales in the guards, and this will bring you to about twenty years service. So after twenty years service as a guard. You'd be probably, what would you be? You'd be in your late 40s, maybe 20 years service. I'm not too sure what age guards are coming in, but we'll say mid to late 40s. After 20 years service, you'd be on €58,958 a year, which is 
60 grand, we'll say. 60 grand a year, divide that by 5 grand a month, grand and a bit a week. Uh, again, with all the... You have the pension, you have the health insurance, you have the overtime. Uh, but the risks involved in being a guard. After nearly 20 years service, you get 60,000 a week. And as that caller who is a guard said, well, there are factories able to beat that. I, I was only talking to the Queen Bee last night about a friend of hers. They were in college together. And the friend's daughter has got a, a, a pretty decent degree. And walked into her first job. Her first job. Her first job. After getting her degree. And the starting salary was 62,000. 62,000. Oh, wait, 1-8-96-96-96. Oh, we have another message from a serving Garda can't give out I guarantee you by the way if you are a serving Garda I won't give out your name uh, I would like to talk to you uh, we change your name we don't have to say where you're serving or anything like that but if you're a serving Garda and you'd like to talk to me about what it's like I would absolutely love to hear from you it's difficult uh, but if we could protect your identity I would love to speak to a serving Garda about what it's like on, on the streets of Cork at the moment. I, I'll read this one, lads, after the news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Yeah, dig a bit further into the the pay scale to see why is it that Drew Harris can't attract new guards. I'll do that in a while. I've just had a, a little peek through it during the news and on those particular pay scales and the danger involved in the job and the risk involved in doing the job, I don't think I'd bother. I really don't think I'd bother me arse being a guard uh, on those particular uh, pay scales. I'll dig deeper into them. But first of all, we're going to go live to UCC where things have gotten a bit fruity. Uh, Michal Martin, Tarnished Minister of Foreign Affairs, has been heckled during an event. The forum, on this forum we are talking about earlier in the week, on neutrality and a, the forum to start a discussion on foreign security and defence policy. Controversial forum, shall we just say. Paul Bourne of Virgin Media News is there. Michal Martin got a, a kind of a salty reception, did he, Paul? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. He did indeed. I mean, here's a man who is a former UCC student. He's uh, a f- well used to debating here in his college days. But uh, um, the hecklers really, I think, got the better of him um, morning obviously he was the opening uh, speaker uh, at this forum and as soon as he took to the podium the hecklers one by one started standing up shouting point of order point of order um, you know he tried to speak over them but obviously they did get the better of him because he had to stop and they did and they stopped him in his tracks really um, they were shouting shame on you shame on you uh, people were accusing this forum as being a kangaroo forum and um, the protesters you know were shouting one after one after another um, 
they just didn't let him carry on. He had to stop. He did try to shout over them at one stage to say that, um, you know, it's the most democratic thing you can do is, I'm uh, sorry, the most undemocratic thing one can do is to shut down debate. And he accused them of doing just that. Um, they were taken from the forum one by one, uh, throwing themselves onto the floor. And these weren't students. These were adults. There were some former county councillors in, in the forum, um, members of the public. Um, yeah, just to ask you there, Paul, would there be any recognisable faces taking part in this? Um, outside UCC this morning, you had um, Lorna Bogue and you had Ted Tynan. There were two of the people that I would have recognised. There were other people that you would see from in protests from time to time, but Lorna Bogue, I think, and Ted Tynan were two of the most uh, well-known protesters at the... Uh, did the, they stand up and, and call... No, they, Lorna, Bogue did, Lorna Bogue did go into the forum. She was one of the people who did register and uh, she was asked to leave and she did so eventually. But before that, Gardaí and security personnel here at the college had to remove the protesters one by one. Now, there weren't any arrests, but Gardaí did take their names and addresses and maybe at a later stage they will be spoken to, but um, that's, that's for another day. But basically this forum is discussing um, the challenges that Ireland is facing going forward. Um, you know, it, it's a very, very controversial um, forum. There is a lot of people opposed to it. You have security and military experts from across the globe taking part in this. But I suppose the main thing out of today from a local point of view is that um, you know these hecklers did interrupt and they did stop Michal Martin in his tracks. Yeah. Hold on there, Paul, because we have had some audio sent uh, to us. I'm talking to Paul Bourne of Virgin Media News. There's been, uh, what you might call, f- quite fruity scenes this morning at UCC where the Taunashta, Michal Martin, addressing a forum on foreign security and defence policy. We've got some audio. Here is what happened. Could I just say, first of all, that I grew up in this city and I learned about freedom of speech and democracy in this university and above all and above all Morgan, 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 please you had your platform you have said what you've had to say I would respectfully yeah I would have. But I also say, I think the most undemocratic thing you can do is try and shut down debate, and that's what you're trying to do here this morning. You are trying to shut down debate. You're behaving in a manner. You're behaving in a manner that's intolerant of Morgan, the freedom of Morgan, speech. Please. You don't want the low order views to come forward. What you are saying is debate on your terms and on nobody else's terms. But that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to debate these issues. And I want to thank the majority of people who are here today who are, and all of those who are following proceedings online and those who have made written submissions. Because this is the first time that our country has ever embarked on a national conversation of this kind and your willingness to engage is the parameter of its success. Paul's gone off the line there. That's, um, Michal Martin is a man who I have been watching in public debate for, I would say, 30 years or more now. And he is a very good public debater. 
but he was certainly starting to get hot under the collar. That was a very robust response. Maybe even you might describe it as an unusually robust response from Michal Martin too. And it, was, it seems to be just one dominant voice in that group. Now, Paul's gone, unfortunately. He's got, he's got a busy day. He's reporting on that event for Virgin Media News, which we, I assume that you will have pictures to attach to the sound later in the day. So there's... And myself and Fergal just remarking here, that was a very robust response for Michal Martin. There was a sense of rolling up the sleeves. <laughs> and I don't... I don't... I, 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 you know, he was almost short of, come here and I'd claim you. And it's hard to blame him. But he was, wasn't he? We'll replay it again. He, this happened within the last hour at UCC, um, where Michal Martin studied and I think he taught there, taught history there at one point. This was on this discussion on neutrality and discussion on foreign policy and discussion on the future and all that. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. I'll hold off on replaying that audio for again for a while because I want to go to uh, Ryan Ramsey. Ryan is a former Royal Navy submarine captain uh, and I'm Grateful to you for joining us, Ryan, from the UK. The Titan submarine has, they're telling us now, less than three hours worth of oxygen left on board. But is it, is it, are we, are we looking at a loss at this stage? Do you think in your experience? Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, tragically, um, and my thoughts go to families and friends. I, I think we are looking at a, a tragic situation here. The, the, every every moment that uh, passes is um, it, it just leads to to one conclusion, unfortunately. And the fact that they haven't um, located the Titan yet um, doesn't bring much hope that they're going to be able to execute a rescue very quickly. In in locating it, it is tiny and it is two miles down. That's that that adds to the difficulty, doesn't it? It does for 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 two reasons. Firstly, um, you could use so for example, there are sonars that um, are good enough to be able to to locate uh, the seabed and and objects on the seabed. Um, but it is a long way down. And equally, to classify, there's not so much locating. You could locate something. But you'd need to go down and classify it. And in order to do that, you need to use remotely operated vehicles and submersibles like the ones that are just arriving. But they take time to deploy. And the the other problem, of course, is the Titanic is also on the bottom. Um, and that was a, a, a ship of over 290 metres, which broke into uh, many parts of which some of those will be the same size as the um, same size as the Titan. So classification becomes a real problem. In your your own experience, Ryan, when a ship becomes floundered, as it were, at that depth, uh, what happens on board? Would would people like? Is there anyone there who's trained on board to deal with a situation like this? That, that, well, so on board submarines, everybody's trained to deal with situations. So, so that's the the whole um, premise of the submarine services around the world. Is it's such a complex piece of 
equipment that the training becomes really really important to make sure that you can deal with um, challenges as they come on in this particular case um, there's nothing they can do inside the um, inside the the titan because it's base is it's based solely you're not there to control it basically it goes down you look at the you look at the um, the wreck and then you press an up button and releases the weights and then it comes back up to the surface so um, there is nothing they could do from within inside the submersible to rectify any problem that, that may have occurred There was some hope or some glimmer of hope about 36 hours ago with the, the report of this banging sound at 30 second intervals did, did we cling to that or in your experience were we just clinging to something there? I think it's a very human emotion that we're all hoping for a um, hoping for a positive outcome. And I think um, I, I said this yesterday as well. I said, well, I, I felt that that was unlikely. Um, if, if it is, then I, I was so willing to be proven wrong. But yeah. um, it, 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 if you listen to what they actually said, they heard something that may have been banging noises, but they hadn't formally classified it as that. One of the five people on board is a former French naval officer with quite an amount of experience and an interview he gave a fair few years ago here in Cork where he lectured as part of that interview said if something happens at a depth like that you won't even know it. That's merciful if something did happen to that little sub if it imploded or broke up they'd never have even known really would they Ryan? No they won't. So, I mean it is, it's tragic to talk about um, the, 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 the way that it might end, but you're right, implosion is, is instantaneous. You'd never know anything about it, and, and that's happened to, to submarines over the years. Um, and then the second option is if they're on the bottom and they're trying to survive, it's gradually running out of uh, oxygen but um, and also creating carbon dioxide, which is uh, which needs to be managed as well. So no, 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 there's no positive outcome and it's the least tragic option effectively. Yeah. They will run out of oxygen according to figures that we have. They will run out of oxygen by about midday. I, I think we really are looking, aren't we, Ryan, at saying may they, may they rest in peace wherever they are. Correct. Yeah, and and yes, that's that's the tragedy of this. All right. Thank you for taking my call. I know you've another commitment. I do appreciate it. It's former Royal Navy submarine captain Ryan Ramsey joining me there from from the UK. What can you say? We were thinking about whether they find it. Will they locate it? Will they be able to get down to it? There's another report I heard this morning early. There's this robot yeah. has now landed yeah. at the scene that can get down there, but. It takes time to set it up and it takes time to send it down and they have to know where it's going and what it's looking for. It just sounds like this is ending in a terrible tragedy. Thank you again, former Captain Ryan Ramsey. So I'll come back to, don't, I haven't forgotten it, I'll come back to that uh, guard the pay scale thing and pose the question, why does Drew Harris not think it's hard, or why doesn't he get it that it's hard to recruit Gardaí at that sort of a pay scale? It, most, almost impossible for him. A few more things as well. Uh, there has been an arrest now in the case of the taxi driver who was assaulted, Junaid. We spoke to Junaid on Monday. Was it Monday, lads? It was. Uh, there's a guy in court this morning uh, following on from that uh, attack on Junaid, the taxi driver who we spoke to on the opinion line earlier this week. If we have anything more on that breaking story, we'll bring it to you before midnight, or before midday, before midnight, whatever you're talking about, Pete, stop.
Terry Shannon, I didn't see any of these videos, but I believe they were circulating down there by Douglas Swimming Pool, by the Gus Healy Pool, in the early hours of the morning, a car being driven around that green area in what you might call a very erratic manner. Good morning. PJ, how are you? Good. Yeah, I, I must say, I wouldn't be great on social media and I went looking for it. Uh, but I can tell you that if there is an investigation underway. A car has been recovered and uh, the guards are dealing with it. Now, I'm being co- conscious that there's an ongoing case. So we, 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 we have to be careful what we say. But we have experienced what I describe as low-level antisocial behaviour in the area. And that has been brought to my intention uh, of of late in the context of the upgrading of the um, the playground that will be happening shortly, people are concerned that you know when we add um, equipment and play areas that they tend to attract antisocial behaviour, uh, and that's a concern that that we, we we need to deal with. And I think this time of the year now, as you know, the nights get longer, kids are on holidays, there'll probably be a lot more uh, of this type of. Uh, not necessarily the joyriding, but what I describe as low-level, but very annoying antisocial behaviour for residents, you know? Just to put people in a geographic context who might know the area, the Gus Healy swimming pool fronts onto the Douglas Road and it backs onto that area there by St Anthony's Boys National Yeah, Beachwood. Beachwood Park, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful park behind it. Yeah. Playground at the top of it. We've a lot of this joyriding going on, Terry. We've done several items on it on the opinion line. 15, 16 year olds robbing cars, generally cars that don't have a proper um, immobilization thing on them. Uh, and then at five or six o'clock in the morning, driving them around the green. And you were saying that there's people walking down to the pool or driving down to the pool at that hour of the morning for early morning training. Well, there is, and and that's a concern we have. That's why, I mean, we did have issues in the car park a number of years ago with donutting and that. So uh, at my request, we put in curbing. And so now there's there's designated parking bays by the swimming pool. But I think this car came in off the Douglas Road and was joyriding around the green area. Uh, and, and so that caused concern uh, to residents. And, and I'm concerned about this because obviously as chairman of the community association, I also chair the, the Garda Forum. And it hasn't come up at the Garda Forum, which concerns me. And so I've met a number of residents in the area in the context. I managed to get €100,000 for the upgrading of the playground in that area. We'll be putting in seven new pieces of equipment and enlarging that area uh, in, in early July. And we have a MUGA multi-purpose play area worth €85,000 being installed just on that little flat area below the the playground, which will be basketball hoops and soccer and that kind of thing. So we are putting in infrastructure and, and facilities for our kids, but we don't want them to be, you know, focal points for antisocial behaviour. So I have spoken to our community guards below in Douglas and in Ballinlock, and I've asked that these areas now would be put on the hotspots so that for the summer areas... Uh, residents aren't going to be plagued uh, late at night and I have had cons- people on to be about music being played in the playground late at night uh, and, and but it hasn't come up at our community fora and it, the guards aren't aware of it and so I, what I have said to residents is don't get involved but report it because as, as, as these are reported the guards can then take action because they see it on pulse they see the phone calls coming in if they don't have reports of it you know it, it's, it's hard for them to deal with it See, one of the reasons, Terry, and I'm, I am uh, still shot here from the newspaper, which I'm assuming was taken at five in the morning or 
half five in the morning of a fella leaning into the doorway of a car there by the playground. Most people would think now that if they pick up the phone to a guard at five o'clock in the morning or a guard at the station at five o'clock in the morning, by the time a guard sets foot out there, they'll be long gone. So people are people are appearing. There's no guards. It's it's not worth it. Well, no, but there are, and 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 we've had this before. There are guards patrolling. No, I I was unfortunately not able to get to the the joint policing forum uh, committee the other day. I would have said to Drew Harris, you know, we do need guards out on the beach. We need cars out of the cars, and we need them walking. We need them on the beach. You know yourself, your father was an unknown guard. In those days, they were out walking. They knew the yeah. the population. Those they, days, the population those days knew it would have been easier to get someone on duty at 5 a.m. as well, Terry. It is, and, and they are alone. But, I mean, people do need to ring in, and, and people do, do need to, uh, you know, the guards need to know this is happening because we can put them on the hotspots. There can be greater patrolling in those areas. We have, uh, it has come. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Come up with our community forum where people are leaving their cars open. We had this couple of situations uh, caught in CCTV cameras locally where people are in around the States in Ballinock trying cars. One in five might be open and been robbed. Uh, our content's been robbed. So we would ask people to um, lock their cars. We also have a, a text alert in the community association and people can join that uh, where we give out information if there's antisocial behaviour or if you know people are calling that are uh, suspicious, that kind of thing. So the population of Bellinock would be informed then of what's happening in the area that is managed through the community association and we would encourage people to join that as well because information is power and if people know what's happening um, you know, we can distill that uh, uh, to the greater community. Yeah. But I would encourage people to report things to the guards because it's only by doing that that the guards will know what's happening. And they can take action. Yeah. There, there was a, a car stolen that morning, and that's being investigated. There was yes. also an, a collision with a parked car, and the driver failed to remain at the scene. That investigation is ongoing. Car has been technically examined. So whether you link the two or you don't... The guards are aware of what was going on down the park. And there is an investigation, because I spoke with guards this morning, there is an investigation underway. Uh, they're very confident of the outcome, uh, and, and we leave it at that, right? Very good. But, they know uh, who they're dealing there are, with, then. They, don't, they know who they're dealing with. And I would say to parents, like, you know, you have to know where your pressures are. And, you know, if, 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 
a lot of this is happening with kids who are coming from good homes. No, they're not out. It's low-lying kind of antisocial behaviour. Uh, I'm not talking about joyriding now, but like, it is annoying to residents and people roaring and shouting late into the morning uh, or early into the morning, bush drinking, that kind of thing. And like, if your little precious comes home, you know, chewing gum, you might want to ask them why, you know, because we all did it, you know, to mask the smell of a bit of alcohol or whatever. Uh, people need to know where their kids are. Yeah, because well, well, anyone, anyone who's might, got a fifteen or sixteen-year-old, you know, anyone who's got a very fifteen, a six, fifteen or sixteen-year-old Terry who doesn't know where they are at five a.m., then are they part yeah. of the problem? They most certainly are. Yes, and like a lot of parents might be thinking that you know Johnny or Mary are in a sleepover, you know. So, like, I think a little more. Than, uh, uh, investigation by parents as to where are you and what you're doing would be would be a good idea. And you know, as I say, the holiday season is here now. The nights are longer. It's warm. The kids are out, and all of the kids are not involved at all. They're doing, you know, they're. And I suppose it's like what is antisocial behaviour? If they're sitting around on a bench and they're a bit noisy, that's not antisocial no, behaviour. They're, you know, no, they're don't. enjoying themselves. Kids being but there kids. is a cohort who are you know, getting involved in mischief for the sake of mischief and who are causing problems. And um, that's not good enough, you know what I mean? And particularly when we're trying to enhance areas by putting in extra playgrounds, by putting in extra facilities for our kids. And we need more in Bananoc. Uh, but we have a lot going on. There's a fabulous youth centre, uh, fabulous tennis uh, uh, club, a lot of activity in the community centre, a lot of clubs in the area. Not mm. for everybody, and I accept that. But I think, you know, we need to be a bit more involved with our kids in terms of where are they at night, you know. On, on the phone, Terry, uh, this, this call says, it's easy for him to say, talk to the guards. A lot of us are very intimidated. We're worried about having our windows driven in. Or if we've kids at school, having them bullied. We'd all love to help the guards, but it's not that simple. Your response? Well, you see, when you, when you talk to the guards, you don't have to give your name. I mean, I'm not suggesting people that get in, uh, intervene with, with those involved in anti-social behaviour or that. But, I mean, I'm happy for people to ring me and residents too. And I'd be happy to engage with the guards. You know, but you don't have to give your name. Uh, and the guards need to know if there's anti-social behaviour in a particular area, it becomes a hot spot. The guards can concentrate on, on that area and, and stamp it out. Now, that anti-social behaviour might move on somewhere else. Mm. But that's something that needs to be done. So you don't have to give your name to the guards. But, I mean, I've had residents in Ballinlock and in Mahan and in other areas of the South East Ward ring me about it, and I'll take it up, and I'm happy to do that, you know? Okay. One last thing, Terry. While I have you there, I was going to play this again, uh, and I'll play it, and I'll take the opportunity to play it now. You, you might have heard what Micheál Martin endured at UCC this morning when he was attempting to speak to this forum on, on foreign policy. And just seeing as you're there in the end, and on the end of the phone, Terry, and you're a lifelong... Fianna Fáil public representative and indeed uh, in, a, in a previous life you drove Hall's car when he was the Lord Mayor so you know him very well. Here's what, here's what Hall went through this morning up at UCC and I, I'd like your thoughts on it afterwards. Hold on. Could I just say first of all that I grew up in this city and I learned about freedom of speech and democracy in this university and above all and above all Morgan, Morgan, Morgan. Please. You had your platform. You have said what you've had to say. I would respectfully. Yeah. 
I would have. No. Yeah. But I, I also say, I think the most undemocratic thing you can do is try and shut down debate, and that's what you're trying to do here this morning. You are trying to shut down debate. You're behaving in a manner. You're behaving in a manner that's intolerant of the freedom of speech. You don't want to allow other views to come forward. What you are saying is debate on your terms and on nobody else's terms. But that's not what we're going to do today. We're going to debate these issues. And I want to thank the majority of people who are here today who are, and all of those who are following proceedings online and those who have made written submissions. Because this is the first time that our country has ever embarked on a national conversation of this kind and your willingness to engage is the parameter of its success. There are fewer people who have been around Michal Martin in his political life than you, Terry Shannon. What do you make of that? Well, I, I, it's, I, I, I'm actually in Dublin, so I'm not aware. I did, this is the first I've heard of that. But it strikes me as extraordinary that, you know, these people, and I don't know who they are, whether they're far right or far left, both are as bad, quite honestly. They're both sides of the same coin. They use the same tactics. You know, they, they, I've heard criticism of this particular forum and whether or not we would join NATO or what's happening with our neutrality. And it's extraordinary that these people want to shut down debate on it. Uh, there's no question of us joining NATO. There's no question of us of, of our neutrality being being compromised in terms of military neutrality. I think it's important we would have a debate about it, and and then these people show up. I want to shut down debate if they ever got power, if they were ever in government. I think we'd be in a very difficult position because they wouldn't tolerate uh, any any opposition to their own point of view. Uh, the public are are entitled to be at this forum. And there are three other meetings later on this week and next week. It's online. It's the start of a public debate. And we need an informed debate often. And I don't know who these people are, but obviously they're opposed to the forum and are concerned about neutrality. You know, we have to debate our neutrality in terms of how that means and what does that mean practically, because we now are in a change scenario. And we've learned that our skies are wide open to everybody. Yeah. Our seas are wide open to everybody. So, you know, how do we... How do we defend that? And are we happy for the RAF um, to be flying over us and protecting us? Or do we do it ourselves? So there is a debate needed. There's a calm and considered debate. But for those particular needed. scenes that have People just been up the line to you, that. you don't agree. You, that's, you, you said that's not the way to do it. Well, no, shouting, no matter what the debate is, no matter what the issue is, shouting people down because you don't agree with them is a threat to democracy. And these are people that need to be outed for that. Mm. Everybody is entitled to their view. You know, I might agree with you, but I'll die trying to defend your right to say what you want to say. Right. And that is, that is democracy. Everybody, everybody's point of view is valid. And everybody will have the, the ability to make their point of view in this debate. But I mean, to shout people down because you disagree with them, that's a slippery slope that... Um, we need to stop. And I'd love to have these people investigated and outed and who are they and who do they represent and what are their views? Okay. Because, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shouting them down and why would they shout down anybody else? Okay. Terry, leave it there and thank you very much. 0818 96 96 96. That's uh, Terry Shannon. There's a bit of response coming in on antisocial behaviour. A notorious crime family openly deals drugs from their house in the city. No convictions or proactive action from guards or courts. I work around them. 
due to the character of the individuals concerned and possibly retribution, I couldn't go on the air. Uh, yeah, yeah. How we a call we have? Great. But I just say first of all, join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Corks ninety six FM. Corks Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Corks 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we bring your reaction to Cork City's trip to Derry and Cove Ramblers Clash with Waterford at St. Comas Park. Right here, right then. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. On Cork's 96FM. Rose and Joe want to get in on our conversation about antisocial behaviour. Joe, I'll get to you in a second. Rose, you're on first. Morning. Good morning. You were talking, are you listening to Terry Shannon about what was happening in Ballinlock and Douglas? Yes, I was, lovely, yes. And what did you want to say? Well, i be honest with you now, really, um, I personally, I think myself, really, of course the parents should be made responsible for all that. Of course they should. And the parents should also be made face up and pay up if they have done the, if their kids have done damage. Now, my, my reason for really ringing is this. There's lads 15 and 16 who have finished secondary school and who are waiting to do junior search and leaving search in the next two years. They're saying they can't get staff in restaurants, in shops, Mm. And th- these kids cannot be allowed, are not allowed to get a, a part-time job. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't see, I, uh, I, you know what I mean? They're not all blackguards. There's some lovely lads around. And they find it quite boring for three months. And they wouldn't do, uh, you know, and they would like a couple of bob. Yeah. But they, they, won't, they won't give them the jobs because of their age. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we have full employment and we have businesses crying out for workers, restaurants, like you said, restaurants, pubs, some shops crying out for workers. Yeah, these, and garden these... centres and all that. Yeah. But they're, you very, know, they're very young roles, like, they're very they're, young. They're not really. I mean, they're, they're some of them are mature enough to, to work a couple of hours. I know a few. Yeah. I know a few and they would be very, very responsible. And you can't class them all the same. I mean, you do, you do interviews and you would know who you'd have. You know, but I, I do think really and truly, like, there, it's a long three months hanging around. Mm. What else does they do, like? I mean, they can't, if they can't spend a couple of hours doing a, 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 a job in some of those supermarkets, John stores, Marks and Spencers, garden centres, like I said, that are supervised by the people, restaurants, with, you know, families who own the restaurants. Yeah. They actually can. They have to go on holiday if they want to go on holidays together as a couple. They have to break their holidays to come back. One come back and the other go because they can't get staff. Yes, yes, yes. And you're saying there's plenty of teenagers hanging around, nothing to do for three months. There is, of course, there is. But there's hundreds of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I can remember my first job. My first job as a teenager was in Roche stores. It was a summer job. I'd, I'd say I was 17, maybe 18. Yeah, yeah. But before that, I'd, I'd have been considered too young to work. Well, this, is, this is my point. But I don't see the reason why not. I mean, you you have responsible kids at 15 and 16. Oh, so would you employ 15 and 16-year-olds in pubs and shops? And... I'm not talking about pubs. Well, we say shops. shops. I would. Why not? 
Okay. Why not? I mean, why not? Like, I mean, they are responsible at that, and it's it's a, you know you'd make them responsible if you made them work. It's a it's a point, Rose. It's it one that I haven't heard made in a while. Thank you, Rose says. Give them jobs. Let them work in shops. Let them work in restaurants. Let them work in garden centres. Give them a few hours work because Rose says they don't want to be hanging around. They want work and they want a few quid in their pocket. It's a point. Your thoughts. Joe, you're waiting patiently. Thank you. Good morning. Joe, on the the antisocial behaviour we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, good morning, PJ. Nice to talk to you. And you. Yeah, uh, we have a major problem with with antisocial behaviour in this country for decades now. Well, I think in the last, I think the last 10 or 15 years it's gone worse. And the reason it's gone worse because, you see, everybody don't seem to be afraid of the law anymore. And that's the problem. And they seem to have this thing where uh, we're better than everyone else. And I think the problem is uh, the Gaudi, no, no disrespect to the Gaudi, the Gaudi can uh, only do what you can do. But I think that they're, they're not prepared for this kind of behavior because uh, people now they seem to be more violent now. They seem to be more aggressive yeah. uh, towards uh, authority. And I think where we were growing up years ago, even that we all we all done a bit of misdemeanors at the time. I think we were a little bit more cautious of what we done when we saw a guard. Like if we saw a guard thirty, forty years ago, we'd run a mile. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, when they see a guard, they kind of just go over. They nearly give him a box in the head, and. Uh, I think that's what, what's wrong. I think that, uh, there, there's too much of a free-for-all. And uh, as that lady said there, uh, which made good points, uh, the parents are should be accountable for where their little Johnnies are. But sadly, mm. it's just gone out of control. Like at, five, at, five, at 5 a.m., if, if your son, or quarter past five or half five, if your son is interfering with a car and CCTV shows your son or your daughter even interfering with that car... Do you think that the guards should be going to the house and saying, come here now, what were you doing while he was out interfering with a car? Well, of course they should, because, say, if I was, I I don't have uh, children, but if I was responsible for little Jimmy or whoever, uh, they are entitled to go to me or go to whoever to look into this, because the parent is responsible. So, like, if... um, if he's going down kicking the lift, if he's going down kicking someone's door and not kicking the car in, it's obvious that uh, the person in general uh, should be held accountable because who else is going to be held accountable? There's no one else involved. It's the person who's responsible for their, for their little uh, darling or whoever should be held accountable, of course, yeah. You think he make the parents responsible for the, for the wrongdoings of teenagers. And what about Rose's point that Maybe get them working, Joe. Yeah, it would be a good idea, but sometimes uh, could you trust them? Because, you see, you could get them working, sure, about two or three days later. They could, go in and they could tear the place apart. They could, be, they could be robbing all around them. Because, you see, the problem is uh, with people today, young people today in general, I think the biggest, the biggest criminal thing ever happened in this country in the last 20 years was the Celtic Tiger. Mm-hmm. I think it destroyed people. I think it turned people into some sort of a kind of... Uh, a, it, it turned people kind of like as if, oh, I have more money than you. I'm better than you. Everybody thought they were kind of better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think that has rubbed off a lot of young people in the last 20 years. And they kind of think to themselves, oh, 
if uh, if such a person can do it, I can do better than them, you know. And mm. um, like Rose does make great points, and I think it, it is important that these people are given some sort of responsibility. But uh, would you would like if you had a business, would you employ them? I don't think I would because I wouldn't trust them. Fair point. Joe, thank you for making it. 0818-969696. What about my two 16.5-year-old and 17.5-year-old? They're both working and they absolutely love it. They come in home exhausted. They feel very grown up and they're learning all about life and work and money. They don't handle cash, but they help unloading lorries. They count things. They refold clothes after customers have looked at them. And they're an asset to the business when their own staff are taking holidays. It makes up the difference for the shop. It's just terrific. There's massive trouble up by us. There's only four guards around. And I'm thrilled to have my lads away from bad influences. Thanks for that. 0818969696. So in the next hour, um, you're listening out for something. Cork's 96FM's opinion line is proud to be the official media partner for the National Menopause Summit, Cork, advocating for change, which happens in October. And I doubt we'll talk about it closer to time. It's a landmark event in the surroundings of City Hall. Knowledge, advice, support and content delivered by a panel of speakers, panel discussions and much more. It's the National Menopause Summit. You'll get tickets at nationalmenopausesummit.com. You're listening to hear this piece of audio again between 11 and 12. I had no idea what it was. I mean, I, nobody told me about it. I hadn't learned about it in school. I didn't learn about it from my mum or my stepmom or my big sister. Just It was just the thing that nobody talked about because I think there was so much shame around it. it who is that? Very well-known menopause advocate. We'll play that audio again the next hour. One callers, nine and ten. Who is that? Have a think and we'll play it again in the next hour. Come back to the guards and their pay. Um, and you wonder why people aren't joining the force. Drew Harris was saying in the JPC earlier in the week that it's hard to recruit people into the force. I was giving you the, the guard, the pay scales. So I told you that it starts at 36,000 Six hundred a year, it works up to fifty eight thousand, fifty nine thousand, roughly fifty nine thousand a year. There is a pension which they pay into themselves. There is very good health insurance which they pay for themselves. About thirty something euro a week for their health insurance. There is overtime, of course, but the the pay, like for the first eight years, your pay climbs to about fifty four thousand seven hundred. Then it stops for five years after that and it goes up to 56,700. And then it stops for five years after that and it goes up to the 59,000. So you'll be there a long, long time as a guard and you won't even make 60 grand on your basic pay. And out of that basic pay comes your health insurance, your pension and whatever else you're having yourself. Now, would you, in the risky environment that it is out there, with what's going on with violence and drugs and all sorts, would you be a guard for that money? Would you encourage your son or daughter to be a guard for that money? Eh? Don't know, do you? 0818-969696. We were doing the cost of living earlier on, and this survey, well, we all knew anyway, European Union official EU figures now tell us that we're the most expensive country in the EU for so many different 
things. I know we're expensive, but how do we compare on income? Does it balance out? Plus, how do we compare for services? Asks Kevin. Well, our income would be relatively higher, yes, Kevin, than, than many EU countries. But I'm sure if you do the math, you'll find that we are still kind of been kind of been screwed. Morning, PJ. On the costs in this country, I got a price for seven nights last week of July in an Airbnb in Dingle. €1,600. I booked seven nights flight and accommodation and insurance in Portugal for the first week in August with two adults and two children. (laughs) 1536 So seven nights, Airbnb, Jingle, last week in July, just the house, just the Airbnb, 1616 quid for Ken. Two, uh, to Portugal they went, or they are going to go, seven nights, flights, accommodation and travel insurance. <laughs> two adults, two children, 1536 euro. Cheaper than a week in Dingle. Thanks, Ken. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 FM. The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. Yeah, what age were you when you did your first job? I was trying to think back myself. I know that my, my first two jobs, if I'm remembering correctly my fr- I know I am my first two jobs I had a summer job in Roach's stores in they used to have a parcel depot when you do your shopping your shopping would be taken down and kept in a depot downstairs and you'd come back and collect it then when you were ready to go to the car it was the parcel depot in, in Roach's stores and there was a couple of great characters in there Decky and and Rocky and, and, and Eddie Cotter was it Eddie Cotter was his name I worked in there for a summer and I was generally kind of an odd job kid as well it was around the cafe I used to change the milk in the machines in the cafe there was like a big sort of carton of milk and you shove it in you had to start it and start I loved it and I, I was a teenager doing that I did that for, for a summer and I also worked out in Cuthbert's Bakery out there in Ardrostic in Bishopstown um, when was it Toddy Cuthbert was the gaffer out there what was his wife's name uh, and I worked there and I, and I look and I remember telling Toddy or his wife anyway years there I hated that job I hated that job I, so I used to work on the slicing machine alright uh, there was a fellow who used to come in in the morning for the collect his sliced pans for the bread van fellow from the north of Ireland God, what's this his name was but I got handy because I was always fixing things and mending things and the slicer used to give trouble so they ended up letting me on the slicer most nights because I could fix it I identified the two or three things that could go I wasn't a kid I, the two or three things that could go wrong with the slicer I, I figured out how to fix how to fix them fairly lively so this this fella who was calling to collect his bread they let that young fella on the slicer because he knows how, how to fix it. I had another summer job down in Bourne's Electronics long ago. 
But I was only a teenager, maybe much later teens in in um, in Bournes. Loved roaches, hated the bakery, loved Bournes, definitely did. But what was your what age were you when you were doing your first job? Should kids be working in their teens? Is a question we'd ask. Rose making the point in the last hour. One of the things that might deter them from antisocial behaviour is if if they had a bit of work, shops, garden centres. You know, get them get them working and get them spending a few hours doing a little bit. We checked on the law because the law would have been different, I suspect, when I was doing my first jobs or when Eamon was doing his first job and when Fergal was doing the first job. Fergal, what's this? What was your first job again? I think you told me long ago what it was. Under the Protection of Young Persons Employment Act of 1996, so I was well out of my teens at that stage, uh, an employer can't employ a child under the age of 16 in full-time work. So you can't work full-time until you're over 16. You can't work at all until you're over 14. And between 14 and 16, age 14 and 15, you can do light work during the school holidays. But you must be given at least three weeks' work off in all of that. 15-year-olds can do eight hours' work a week in school time hey yeah so 14 year olds can't work but anybody over that can to a certain extent your first work your first job I'd love to I'd love to hear what it was Shona says I was 14 when I got my first job uh, picking fruit in Rathcormac yeah I picked fruit as well in, in Kilkenny actually I used to spend a lot of my summer times in Kilkenny in a lovely place called Bennett's Bridge uh, with my cousins and they had a, a farm there called Breen's and we used to go to Breen's at 5 o'clock in the morning picking raspberries but it was a complete waste of time because we ate more than we picked Phil you reckon young people are more capable than we give them credit for and maybe we should let them work morning morning PJ um, yeah I do actually No, I started this you know, when I was listening to the lady speaking about it, Rose. I start Rose. I started thinking about that that little girl in the jungle there in Colombia recently, who brought three younger children. You know, who helped them to survive for forty days, and I was thinking she was thirteen, right? But then when I was speaking to Emer, it suddenly occurred to me I started working at twelve years old. No, well, yeah, I'm in my early sixties now, right? So back then, obviously, the rules and regulations were different, but there was a local shop. And I spent an awful lot of my summers working there. And I would work there at weekends um, all year round. And I absolutely loved it. It gave me discipline, you know, about timekeeping and just a sense of responsibility. And it made me feel good that I was earning a bit of money yeah. to contribute at home because I'm the eldest of age. Yeah. But um, then I went on to Roger Stores, same as yourself, at 14. So that I, I left school. Yeah, well, you left school. That was my, yeah. And that was my first job. Right. So I was well capable of doing that. And I went on then, and, and I have a career now. Mm. So you you know, you work your way along. You don't have to, you know, be, how would I say, the most academic person in the world. In your school days, I appreciated education later, I suppose, in life. Mm. Mm. You, had, you, had, I, you went back later, did you? I did, I did. But like, when I think of it, at 12, 14, 15, I absolutely loved going to work. Mm. I loved the sense of 
achievement, I suppose, that I got from it. Yeah. Um, and, and I learned so much. And yeah. I think nowadays people are looking at their teenagers as, oh, she got love, we couldn't make them work at that age. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. They're they're minding them, and they're. I think you were talking about it there. Were you in the last few days? Helicopter parenting, where they're yeah, or or the new word now, snowplow parenting, where you clear everything out of the way for them. Yeah, and I mean that's just ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I got into trouble in Roger stores one day when I was lazing around doing nothing. <laughs> so I, I, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I had to, there, was, there was a lady there actually. I was working in. The, if you've um, time to lean, you've time to clean. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I and I was in the cafe. You know the. The coffee bar, I yeah. think it was called. Uh, yeah, I used to change the milk in there, yeah. Yeah, so there was a lady there um, for donkey's years and she was very, very stern and she she saw me one day standing yapping. Mm. And sure, I got my comeuppance for that. But she was actually a lovely lady underneath it all. Yeah. You know, I discovered that as I got older. But uh, That was um, like Eddie, in the, Eddie inside in the parcel depot. I was terrified <laughs> of Eddie. I was petrified of the man. She was the, he was a dolt. A dolt. Yeah, and I mean, I think they probably have to hold a certain amount of um, authority over you, I suppose, to get you to do anything. Yeah, But, yeah. like, I, I must say, like, there were a lot of young people working in my day and pro- probably in your day as well. And I think it did us good. It certainly did us no harm whatsoever. But I think it was so good for us. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with you, Phil. Thank you. Oh, eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I think summer jobs for kids are a fantastic idea. Get them working for it. They don't have to work the whole summer holiday, but the secondary schools are off for three months, and there's no reason why they shouldn't work for a few weeks or a few hours a day. Get get them doing something, make them useful, get put some money in their pocket, teach them that you know other people, other people will have different standards of them. Um, I did. I do remember being a teenager working in those jobs, and there were people that I was terrified of. Because they were the boss and you didn't want to get in trouble with the boss. But one thing I learned at that stage as a teenager was in life, you will meet people who will give out to you. Heck, still do it. Um, Bernie, I think it should be made law and put into the education system that teenagers should have a variety of jobs throughout their teens in the summertime. I was 15 when I got my first job working in the kitchen, cleaning the dishes in a hotel. I think everyone is capable of working from 15 onwards, says Tracy. Got my first job when I was 15. I'm 19 now. Do you remember the big pull-out ovens in Cuthbert's PJ? I do. Do you remember the steam room where they used to rise the, the, the bread? And there was lads out there then and they used to make it all by hand and they'd be rolling the different shapes and tossing the bread around into the... Yeah, I love... I, 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 I loved it and hated it at the same time, depending on what task I was on at night in, in, in Cuthbert's. Yeah, I do. D, you were, you were what age were you? Line four? What age? Fifteen? Fifteen. Where were you working? Cashes. The cafe in Cashes. Right. I hated every minute of it. Did you? <laughs> who, who put you in there? There was two of us started the same day, and the other girl happened to be a farmer's daughter. Right. <laughs> She bought the manager fresh eggs every day and fruit and vegetables. She got all the cushy jobs uh-huh. and I got all the horrible jobs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, and like what I mean by who put you in there? Like did your parents say, right? Well, my mom said, if you can get a job, you can leave school. But other than that, no, you have to stay on at school. So yeah. I made sure I got a job. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, one day I couldn't take it anymore, and I got on, went up, took my coat and my bag, went up to the top of Patrick Street, got on the number six, and came home on my break. <laughs> <laughs> and what, I told what? her. What did I told her I was never going back again. <laughs> so she said, well, you have to go back to school. So I didn't go back there. I couldn't. I hated it. <laughs> what, you hated the job or you hated school or both? The job, both. <laughs> so so did, did you go back to school? No, I got another job. <laughs> Where'd you go then? It was uh, it's gone now, but it was initial towels. Do you remember the pull-down towels? I do. That was another one of my jobs in Roche's stores. I, I had oh, a key. God. I had a... Oh, the, nice. They used to open, the, and I had a key, no. and my job we in the morning... We were dealing with the dirty ones. <laughs> oh, well, I know. I had to take I had to take the dirty ones out. I but take, if you saw what we had to do with them, we weren't stop. given gloves or anything. God, yeah. We had to unfold them. <laughs> but you know what? God, we're, we're going to be accused of, of talking about the, the past now, but those towels, you know, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no air dryer, there's no paper towel, there's no nothing no. will dry your hands better than one of those clean I towels. Know, yeah. I know. <laughs> but just when you're full, you start blowing the noses in, and then you were in trouble like that. Uh, <laughs> oh, D, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. My dad had a bread round. Says Mick, we used to go to Cuthbert's around half five to fill the van and we start delivering it to houses and shops and then I'd be dropped to school at nine. I was late every day. The headmaster used to be waiting for me. This started in 1980. I was 12, says Mick. Was that, yeah. I know, the man who used to collect the sliced bread and who spotted me getting handy on the slicer with the... I was only a kid. I should never have been let do it, but I did it because I could. And um, when the slicer would get jammed, one of the things used to happen that the bread roll, the roll of pre- of wrapper used to used to get caught, and I and I figured out how to free it and make sure it didn't get caught again. I think Cyril was the guy who used to come for his bread, and every single morning the flipping slicer would jam. So they said, leave him in there. He knows what he's doing. I have two kids who work but won't pay their way, so I told them pay for college out of your own wages. Regards for that. Yeah, whatever you do with your money, I. The younger, we're looking for people who, what was your first job and when did you do it? What were you doing? Fergal says his first job was a computer program, computer programmer in Mosses in Academy Street. Mosses, Mosses, Mosses. Was that the arts and crafts? Mosses in Academy Street over the Green Door Bakery. I remember the bakery. I was starving for the first six weeks, says Fergal. Then I couldn't look at cakes or bread for months because the smell of the cooking went through the aircon. All the baking, you could smell it up to the air conditioning. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. ninety six FM. Where I'll be shot. I I never reminded you that we will be doing this very 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 shortly. Yeah. That's today's Ibiza song. If you hear it, text the word Ibiza and your name. 083 396 96 96. Couple more opportunities to qualify for the draw for that fantastic week 
in Ibiza. Also some stuff in on what happened to Michal Martin up at UCC and some responses to the Garda pay rates that are read out and stuff coming in about people's first jobs uh, and what age they were. But Samantha Jones is coming back and I'll be quite honest with you, I'm nearly weak from myself with excitement. I really am. I used to love Sex in the City. Yes, I did. Men are allowed to, you know. And I particularly loved uh, Samantha Jones. Uh, we're going out. Who's on the phone? All of us. It's the future. <laughs> Why are you guys calling me so late? It's 7.30. Were you asleep? I'm pregnant. I'm always asleep. These are my last months of freedom and I'm spending them in bed. Well, just don't spend them alone in bed. I'm a lost cause. Go on without me. Save yourself. No, we're all going. We have to shake things up before we officially become boring. <gasps> I say we go dancing. I'm in. Let's go dancing. Okay, but not somewhere I'm going to feel worse about myself when no one's interested because I'm fat. You're not Aww. fat. You're pregnant. Yeah, that'll have men lining up at the door. Stop! I call the cops! I'm a 34-year-old nerd. Come on, are you kidding me? Don't you think that's a little childish? More lemonade, Carrie? Yes, please, Mrs. Adams. And how about some nice homemade toll house cookies? Yes, please, Mrs. Adams. I absolutely loved it. Now, the second one, the, the kind of comeback series, and just like that. Crossy, I wasn't as much in love with that, mainly because Samantha Jones wasn't in it. Is she coming back, though? You've seen some preview episodes. Morning. Good morning. So, right. We have some bad news to start with, and then we're going to get to the good news. Go on, go on. First of all, this is all this is all spoiler-free. I'm going to tell you nothing about any of the plot lines. I'm just going to tell you what I saw. So, I'm up to episode seven at the minute of the brand new series, and just like that. Today, on Now and on Sky, they're going to show the first two episodes. And then every week after that, they're going to drop one more. Please don't be disheartened in the first two episodes you're going to watch tonight. It is utterly, utterly awful. The first two episodes make no sense. They are so woke that, like, they're. Oh, no, they they're, haven't woke them, have they? Oh, no, they've, they've properly, just for these two episodes, just for these two episodes, no one, no one gels together. It is like a school stage play. I was, I stood up for the last season and it was quite rocky at times. I was like, nah, it's great to see them back. These first two episodes are awful. They're like mid-season episodes on a good TV show where it, they just go off on a, on a different thing. Anyway, that's those two episodes. That's tonight. Get that over and done with. Then after that, the sparkle comes back. Okay. And yeah. not the sparkle from it just like that. The sparkle from Sex and the City, the yeah. original. Because that's comes what back. The, when I, I did watch I did watch the first season, having been a bit big fan, having seen the movies and all and laughed out loud at a whole lot of it. The, the first season of And Just Like That kind of didn't do it to me, partly because Samantha Jones wasn't there, but they started to woke them a bit and, and that annoyed me. It annoyed, yeah, and it annoyed me too, especially the those two episodes. Just like mad things. Okay, we need to talk about a gay person with an arm grown out of his head. All of a sudden, there's one there behind you, you know. And that's me being extreme. That's what they're doing. They're right to to show to show visibility for things, but do it the right way. Don't do it just to to shoehorn things in. And for some, it is like episode three 
is a brand new start because that's when they start filtering in all the magic. The Sex and the City was all about the sex, the the talk about relationships. Sometimes like you never watch it with your mom and dad. And I think that's why it was so good because they kind of borderlined being very bold, but they always pulled it back in the end. Mm. And from episode three onwards to what I've seen, you will laugh, you will cry. Episode three is very sad, but it's Sex in the City type sad. Okay. Uh, episode four, the Harry is center stage, and oh, it's little just, small Harry, it's just is he so there? funny. You know what? You get older. Sometimes things don't work, and things do work, and all this sort of stuff. And the show, the episode is centered around that. Well, Fab. I cried laughing is cried Mr. Laughing. Big coming back or did he die so Mr. Mister Big died episode 1 season 1 of it just like that episode 3 is Carrie again this isn't a spoiler because this is out there Carrie is reading her audio book and she has to relive those moments and it's quite sad but every time it gets so sad they pull it back and they make you laugh mm. so from episode 3 onwards it's quite good the question is though is Samantha Jones back in it she's back in it come near the end they're saying it's a cameo they're saying that she doesn't interact with anyone she's just going to appear now if you've been watching you've been known she's been texting them but it hasn't been her it's just been a text Yeah. I have a very funny feeling she is in a more than a cameo and the only reason why I've been given all the episodes bar two episodes uh, so I just presume they're holding them back uh, and I hope so because I I, 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 I Oh, Didn't Kim Cattrall and, and Sarah Jessica have the most awful fa- falling out? A real catfight. And here's the, here's the mad thing. Someone told me this before. If someone's bad in the, in, in the industry, a lot of people give out about them. And you kind of say, okay, well, I've heard stories. They sound like they are bad. No one has slagged SJP off. Only Kim Cattrall. So it must be a personal thing rather than industry cat fight or any of that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's kind of sad. It, it, it was very, quite deep. Like, they, they were like, well, Kim went quite fast. But I really hope she's going to be in it for the last two episodes. I, they're saying it's a cameo, but mm. I know they're really angry when it was leaked. For, um, me, I read for, it for me, she was. For me, she was the one I watched it to see what she was doing, to see what she would say, <laughs> yeah. to see what I she met was her. Do you, do you, do you, I met her. I interviewed her. I interviewed her five years ago. She's in. She was in a thing called Sensitive Skin, and we were told before we went in, don't ask her about Sex in the City. <laughs> I've. I, I always have a great question when you can't ask someone about something they're known. What you do is you say. Do you ever get do you ever get spotted anywhere around the world that you're like, wow? Oh. And what do they say to you? Oh. And as soon as I said it, she went dirty martini and I went, wow. And then she went into the whole Saxon City stuff. See, Crossy, that's why you're understood. the best in the business, my man. That's why you're the best <laughs> in the business. Hold on there a second, pal. Hold on there a second. Shirley. Shirley, like me, was a big fan of the original. What about and just like that though, Shirley? Um, yeah, the first season left me a little bit cold. It was a bit, I found it kind of cringy to watch, to be honest, and a little bit too woke, as Crossy had said earlier. And and I've watched the first two episodes of the new series as well. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take Crossy's advice and and, and wait it out and hope that it gets better because I can see little glimpses of things that give me a bit of hope. But the first two episodes of the new series, I just found a little bit pantomime like a bit amateurish or something. Mm, he, he's he's seen seven, the lucky git. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll hold off my judgment now and I'll, I'll, I'll um, hopefully... I, I think the character of Che is being developed to be a little bit more likeable than what we would have seen in the first series because I think that was a big mistake they made in the first series. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of them now after after listening to Crossy there, so hopefully it'll, it'll have a little bit more. But I just don't think... Sometimes I wonder, should these shows just be left untouched where they were? Yeah. Like... And just like that was something that I really was like, this is going to be a really good revisit. And and the first season was so disappointing and it just seems that they were a little bit clumsy with it and they were trying to cover mm. every angle and be everywhere at once. Or, that it or just... was it, Shirley, that they were afraid of their life of the woke brigade who would have gone through it episode by episode and said, that's so problematic! Absolutely, and listen, it, that's what made it feel kind of skittish to me, like they were constantly overcorrecting in every episode, trying to keep everybody happy, instead of just kind of staying true to the original map of the first, of the original series. Mm. But look, you're never going to be able to keep everybody happy, and a lot of shows don't. And, and that's know. why I loved Samantha Jones, because she would, she just didn't give a toss. Her character was, wasn't she crossy? Like, Samantha Jones was just... Yeah, badass. I loved her. Everything about her just was fantastic. And the lines and the quotes from her, it is missing. But as I say, from three, four and five, other characters in there will start having these quick fire, funny things. Poor Kristen Davis. She was in the news recently because she said she was talking about having too much Botox and fillers and all that. In the episodes, you can because she literally cannot talk these days because of them. But again, she has some funny one-liners she never had. Miranda is going to come back to being Miranda. And I know you said there about Che. Che is the worst character of all time. But she, sorry, they start getting very likable. Not, you're not going to love Che, but you're going to, you're going to like Che better than you did in the first season from about episode three or four. That, 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 that's a teaser for you, Shirley. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Guys, here's a show, and I was only watching clips before I let you both go and I get your view on it. Here's a show that I absolutely loved, and to this day, the clips are hilarious. And it's another one that would be shot down in flames if you started showing it again. Did you like the Golden Girls, Shirley? Oh my God, I loved the Golden Girls. Yeah. It was a daily afternoon viewing in our house with my grandmother growing up. It was, we watched it constantly, reruns, everything. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, yeah. Crossy? I love the Golden Girls. And the scary thing about it is, the end, just like that girls, were the same age, are the same age as the Golden Girls in season one. Can you see the difference in styles? Like I always thought the Golden Girls were in their 80s. They weren't. They were in their 50s. They were beautiful women of the 50s. And people make that, that difference in it. Isn't it wild? Yeah. If you ever want to watch, thanks, yeah. thanks, thanks both of you, Crossy and, and Shirley. And just like that, season two, dropping in two episode chunks, Crossy has seen seven and says it's better than, than season one. Samantha Jones is coming back into it. Great. But no, the, there was nothing. There was nothing to touch the Golden Girls. I, I loved them. Absolutely loved them. And I can still watch them. They're all, over, they're all over Instagram, actually. Clips of the Golden Girls. All over the gram. But this was a beauty. And we'll be back, hopefully. I don't know we'll ever get the original Sex in the City back. But, but uh, yeah, Samantha Jones is back. I'm happy. I'm a happy man. John says, my first job 
was knocking... What? John Paul. My first job was knocking the barnbrecks out of t- out of tins in Thompson's. They used to come home stinking of baking. It was appetizing the first few days, but I soon got sick of it. Another one of my early jobs was in Dunlop's, where I did things like clean the vegetables for the workers' lunches in the canteen. Good times, says John Paul. Yeah. 15, when I got my first job working in the kitchen, cleaning the dishes in a hotel for the summer. Loads of it. My first job selling papers from the toll house, says Dennis. Is that the toll house that was up in St. Luke's, up the road from us here? I was 14, says Dennis. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96 Bunch of stuff to come back to. I won't get to this now tomorrow, but if you're potty training a child at the moment, you might be able to help a, a listener who has sent us an email. And I, I shouldn't laugh. I read the email and I goes, oh, you poor thing. Oh, God, you poor thing. I can remember something quite similar in our house. So you wouldn't be the first. But if anybody can help, we'll read that one on tomorrow's show. We won't get to do it today. We Quite a bit of pushback on what happened to Michal Martin up at UCC. Uh, does Michal Martin actually even hear himself? Sure, himself and Simon and Leo, they don't listen to their own citizens, like capping numbers and visa control. It's all farcical, typical bully boy tactics. Condition out, we can't take it, says uh, Shiona. There was a few more of that. Bit rich from Mr. Martin preaching on free speech and debate, says Anne. Do you ever see him and Leo trying to down the opposition instead of talking about the subject in question? Always going back to the old days. It's the only way they know how to debate. A few years ago, when a young girl was murdered, all we listened to from them was we need to respect women. Just look at them any day on the news now. Uh, I've voted for him all my working life and all my voting life. I never will again, says Anne. Thank you. 0818 I'll come to the guard, the pay and pension stuff in a sec. But first jobs. Rita, where were you? What were you doing? Good morning. Hi, PJ. How are you? How are you? I know that voice. <laughs> How are you, Reid? What was the first I, thing? What was the first job you had? My first job was picking tomatoes in the gas houses inside my bridge. Myself and my sister. And you see, at the time, my granduncle was living with us. So we'd go off with him and work away all day picking the tomatoes. I think we used to get about three pence about this. I'm told my age now, yeah. Well, what, what, and what, yeah. What age were you? Twelve. Twelve? Yeah. And my sister was a year and a half older than me. So right. the two of us used to head off. And we did it, I'd say, for three or four summers at the time. Right. And we were happy out to do it, do you know? No? Three, three and how many buckets would you fill? Oh, we'd fill a good few buckets, you know, maybe, I don't know, about maybe 20, 30 buckets. Wow. You know, cause, but then you see they'd be freshening, freshening every day because they'd be green tomatoes. That's right, that's right, that's right. two right. days and they'd be red and you, they'd be you, lovely. If, you're, if you were coming away with a pound a day at 12, you were doing all right. And, <laughs> and it was probably better. I was trying to pick strawberries in Rathcooney and I was trying to pick... Pick raspberries up in Breen's in in Kilkenny, and sure, I was only I was only killing myself with with, with fruit because you eat I eat half the bucket, but but you, you would you you wouldn't be eating half a bucket of tomatoes, would you? 
Oh, absolutely not, no. But <laughs> 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 we'd come home then in the evening and then I thought they gave me a taste for work because my dad used to grow potatoes. So we used to pick the potatoes with him then, but there was a lot of messing and fooling going on. But Is there anything anyway. nicer yeah. in the world than a fresh spud from your own oh. field? Nothing. Oh, it used to be fabulous. Nothing. And the tomato. Yeah, you'd have been roasting in a glass house too, wouldn't you? <laughs> Oh, 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 absolutely. But then, I, you know, after, I suppose I got a taste for the work, so I just didn't like school at all. And I left after my interest at the time, and I went to the College of Com doing a course, and uh, doing my leaving search, and doing um, a secretarial course at the same time. And come Christmas, I knew this was not for me. So I told my mum I went to the leave school, and of course she said, if you get a job, you can leave. Mm. So I got a job in Liam Russell's bookshop, you know, Liam Russell. Of course. Yeah. So I worked there then for the next number of years, happy out. And I got married when I was 19, and I continued working there for another year or two. And then I got a job in the bakery, you know, Amberley's bakery. Of yeah. by Farmers Craft, so I that's probably well. up the road. They're still there. They're still there. Yeah, I worked for them. Well, it was Mrs. Palmer had at that time, and I worked there then for another number of years ah. until I had my son. You were moving. Then, you were moving closer to home, weren't you? Moving closer to home, yeah. And then I stopped working after, when I was expecting him. I stopped working, and then after when he went into a school, I went to my Mrs. Palmer, and I said. My maternity leave was off. Can I come back? But he wasn't senior anything, no, at this stage. Oh, do, she said. When can you come back? So I went back then until I had married. And then I gave it up then again. And when she was in school, then I continued on working with my husband. He fits kitchens and wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was helping him then. You're, so you're, and you're, You've been work, work, working all your life, Rita, since since your first job picking tomatoes at the age of 12 in a glass house in Five Mile. Wouldn't you be roasting in the summertime? Right, 0818-96-96-96. Last little bit of business today. I wanted to catch up with Anne-Marie O'Sullivan. She's the subject of a documentary tonight on, on T.G. Cahar. And apart from the remarkable story that, that you're telling, Anne-Marie, you decided to do it in Irish as well just for the occasion uh, and that was that was a, that was one of the hard things it's about cancer it's called what's it called it's called bishop on alsha did you even know alsha was the irish for, ca- for cancer no um when i was approached about it i was that was my biggest concern really not so much sharing my story publicly but doing it through irish like i love irish but it is my second unused language really um and so i kind of really had to struggle into the back of my brain to to root out all of the irish that could be in there and as you say look up words like ilsha that wouldn't have come up in my leaving cert um and try and i suppose get a new vocabulary yeah. and try and put a frame on how to tell it through irish Alsha entered your life in in 2020 stage three that's a shocker it did, yeah right at the start of the pandemic um may june 2020 um yeah it just came out of nowhere i mean i know that there was a pandemic but at the time life was very good personally i felt really well i had just bought some roller skates the kids were at home uh we were painting and out in the sun and in the back garden yeah I know I had great plans I was full full of health feeling really well and it came as a complete 
shock, I suppose, and knocked me out of the water. You were stage three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was kind of totally unexpected. You know, anything that I had thought I knew of cancer, my my cancer was sore, which is kind of what brought it to my attention. Um, I was young. I was 37. Um, it was in my armpit that I found a lump. I didn't find anything in my breast um, initially. So all of the things kind of weren't directing me towards cancer. You know, I just thought this is an awkward lump that I've got. Um, so to be diagnosed was a huge shock mm. and everything kind of took off very quickly. So it went kind of straight from diagnosis on the this week actually three years ago the 19th of June 2020 and then by July I was starting chemotherapy and yeah. it was all quite quickly and that was yes. tough and the, the documentary tells the whole story of that and then a lot of work done with this documentary on breakthrough cancer research and a new drug called help me here pertuzumab yeah, yeah well done that's <laughs> exactly pertuzumab <laughs> Um, I was so fortunate. So when I was being prepared for chemotherapy, I was told that I would get three drugs, the initials of which were T, C and H. Um, and I was kind of prepared for that. And we had a long like morning, a whole morning afternoon session talking through all the side effects that I would get. And then on the first day of chemotherapy, the pharmacist came out to me and said that they had a new drug to offer me, pertuzumab, and that from trials, um, they knew that it was an amazing drug. It worked really well with the H drug that I was getting, which was Herceptin, and the two combined meant not only that it would fight the cancer better, but it would reduce the likelihood of the cancer coming back significantly. So she was like, as a pharmacist, she was really excited to deliver this because I was the first person which stage three cancer to get it and she was started off by saying well you're the first person in Ireland to get it and then she looked at her watch and went oh hold on it's 11 o'clock so you're the first person definitely in Munster because I don't know what they're doing in Dublin but you're definitely <laughs> the first person in Munster and she had never made it before and she knew how good this would be and like the difference that it would make and before I got it through the public health care system people had been fundraising to get it and yeah. doing you know kind of going to all lengths because they knew from the research that this was good but the money wasn't being or the money wasn't there to yeah. deliver to patients yeah. so how, it was just really fortunate how are you now Anne Marie I'm just like yesterday I was in South Infirmary and got another all clear um, so I'm three years past diagnosis now and I'm absolutely flying it um, there's it's amazing when I think back like I was just looking at pictures back of 2020 and it's like a whole other person a whole other time um, I've come so far in that amount of time it's amazing the documentary explores your 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 journey from from start to finish and the highs and the lows and the the lows are a memory that will stay with you, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. The whole family, because like we were all in lockdown together here, the four of us, um, myself and two kids, my husband, and it's it just it was all consuming, you know, for the, all that time. Um, it was the only thing that was going on. Um, it was kind of a year of treatment from start to end. And it's like it shaped your family. It shaped me. Um, it absolutely changes everything. But I suppose what was the kind of lifeline within that was that to be given that kind of this is a new drug that we can offer you. Yeah. Felt really like in all of this darkness and all this unease and all this it's uncertainty, yeah. here's something certain. You know, yeah. people have gone through a trial to give you a drug that they know works, yeah. that they know improves your chances. Yeah. So we could just give something to grasp to. Yeah. You know, and really during, during Radiothon in May, we were talking about Breakthrough, talking about the work that they do and the research that they do. Here you are living proof of, of the That's power it. of what they do. 
And as soon as I, like I was told I would get the drug, I did not think for a second about all the research, all the years, all the people who put themselves forward for trials when they were scared and when they didn't know, like, whether this drug would be of benefit or, you know, it was a trial. So they were putting themselves and their time and, like, their energy all into this in the hope that the people that would come after them would benefit. And then I get to be one of the people that come after them. But then from the, like, in doing the documentary, it was just amazing to talk to researchers. Like, I never, you hear of kind of cancer research and you know it's important but I suppose like to realise that these people are scientists who could be doing absolutely anything who could spend their time with any kind of multinational that they choose but but they put their time and energy into this and it's phenomenal and like what they're doing is amazing Okay and Maria we can watch that story tonight Uh, Bishok on Olsha is on TG Car at 8.30 don't worry it's subtitled for us mere mortals who is this before we go who is this well-known menopause campaigner? I had no idea what it was. I mean, I, nobody told me about it. I hadn't learned about it in school. I didn't learn about it from my mum or my stepmom or my big sister. Just It was just the thing that nobody talked about because I think there was so much shame around it. If you want to go to the menopause forum, the menopause conference in City Hall in October... Be caller eight and caller nine now, or caller nine and ten now. Uh, tell me who that is. We'll give you the names of the winners in the morning because we're busy. It's the National Menopause Summit in October because we're really busy and we're out of time now. Program edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry, and we shall talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with Hidden Hearing, changing lives with the latest hearing health technology. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cox 96.